0: Welcome one and welcome all to episode three of Chillin' with Kofi. We have a great episode for you today. For those of you that are first time listeners and maybe new, feel free to leave five stars on the Apple podcast and uh, feel free to leave some comments, some feedback. I'm always looking forward to hearing from the audience. We have a great guest for you today. I am a huge fan of his work. I've been a fan for about a year, over a year and a half. Um, he's a great YouTuber. It's Bailey of Foolish Baseball. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. Uh, I'm at a sort of transitioning phase in my life right now, and, I, and that applies to Foolish Baseball as well. Currently home, kind of planning my next move, which in, in a pandemic is never easy, but I'm
0: doing well, and, and the channel's doing well as well. That's great to hear. Uh, before we get started, I want to always have the self-promotion part. At the beginning, so that people can follow you and follow along with the podcast at the same time. So, where can they find you on the internet? Yeah, so you know the main thing is
1: is the YouTube channel Foolish Baseball. That's where I upload a video essay series called Baseball Bits. Um, but then also check out uh, my Twitter account, which is at Foolish BB, and I also have a second YouTube channel recently launched that I'm trying to grow. Check that out. Foolish
0: Bailey is the name of that one. Yeah, and so this is always so much interesting stuff. You have a great way of making baseball, I think, more accessible to people. And with the stat side, and then you explain the statistics, something that to some people that might find uh, the stat categories very intimidating, like myself. So I want to ask, what first got you interested in the statistics side of baseball and just baseball in general?
1: Yeah, well, I'd, I'd always been sort of interested in the stats. Uh, in baseball, and, and as far as baseball goes, you know I was raised by baseball fan parents. Specifically, you know uh, in the mid, you know I was born in 1995. That was when the Braves were on national television and they were winning the division title every year. So, you know, just through kind of luck and timing, I I can't remember a time where I wasn't a fan of baseball. Um, as far as the statistics go. Um, You know, I, I was the kid that growing up would have like the sports almanac and would want to look at all the, you know, all time leaders. Uh, And then, you know, when I was 12, I read uh, Moneyball by Michael Lewis, which for, you know, so many in the baseball world was like this, this landmark moment of, of baseball, you know, sabermetrics and analytical thinking uh, hitting the mainstream. And so that was uh, a very, you know, transformative time uh, was reading Moneyball and then seeing the game differently afterwards. And I think that's what ultimately set me. Uh, along this path into creating foolish
0: baseball, I feel like we're the same person at the beginning, and then we kind of like split career paths. Like I, my first sport also was baseball, and I had the almanacs. Um, I'm sure that uh, listeners of the first episode of my mom realized that I had a big piece of foam in my bonus room where I would practice pitching, and I would practice different pitch grips and everything like that. And I was so fascinated with the sport. Of baseball, I had the almanacs where I'd read about like Rogers Hornsby mm-hmm. and uh, Jimmy Fox and Ty Cobb and Honus Wagner and all of those people. But I think, unlike you, I kind of fell out of love with the sport of baseball for a while. Mm-hmm. I got to, I got to high school, and I went to a private high school, and all of my friends there. Where North Carolina is usually, it's just a, more of a basketball state, but there are. A lot of people, there are, um, I think the USA World Baseball Classic is, no, the World Team like practices in North Carolina, if I'm correct, if I'm not correct, mistaken.
1: Uh, You know, I wouldn't know the answer to
0: that, honestly. (laughs) Okay, well, (laughs) never mind then. But um, yeah, a lot of my friends, uh, they didn't like baseball. So I kind of fell out of, out of passion, out of love with the sport of baseball and then For a couple of years, I tried to get back into the sport. And then I realized that I did not know anybody in the All-Star game. There are so many players. It just felt so intimidating and daunting. And then I came across your video, Baseball Bits. And that's how I've been getting back into the sport of baseball again. So I really like to thank you for that. Um, It's really been Good and to see all of these fun stories about baseball in terms of making stats fun, and you just have a really good way of storytelling and creativity that I really admire,
1: yeah, and I think that's a big part of like what makes the series important to me is this idea of there are there are baseball fans that are kind of you know lost wandering in the desert, maybe they stopped paying attention for a few years, maybe. All of the you know the new numbers are intimidating to them, and they're like, "Where where's the baseball that I used to love?" And I think that the channel can be a tool not not so much for converting like you know people who had never heard of baseball into baseball fans, but people who were casual fans and into uh, you know hardcore fans potentially. I think that's kind of where my channel comes
0: in. And what would you say are the new numbers, and when did they start coming into effect or becoming more popular? Or yeah. More accessible.
1: Well, well, Moneyball. You know, the Moneyball As, That was, uh, for some people, the beginning of it. Um, back in the days of of Usenet, Usenet was a uh, uh, it was like an early version of forums that you would post on the internet. Um, on on Rec Sport Baseball, that's where a lot of the big names um, in the baseball sabermetric scene sort of used to congregate in the in the late 80s and the 90s. And back then, you know, their their type of thinking was um was you know seen as extremely like fringe and outsider. And then what's happened is, you know, over, you know, the last 20 years or so, teams are basically run on the sabermetric principle. So even if you, you know, if you don't understand them as a fan or you don't understand why certain decisions are being made or why, you know, a team doesn't care about what a player's batting average is anymore, that's the way the teams function. And and I think that's that's born out of uh, you know, that's born out of Bill James. That's born out of Usenet forums with the uh, fringe baseball nerds that later go on to do things like work in front offices and found, find websites like, uh, you know, Baseball Reference. So, yeah, I mean, the Internet uh, in general has been a really big tool for, for spreading this knowledge. And I, I hope to be sort of a continuation of that and that I make, you know, the, the secrets of baseball accessible to all
0: that's really, that's really good. That's a really good idea. You feel like it's like a Venn diagram that you fill, you know what I'm saying? Like the middle part, you kind of fill the, the void. Mm-hmm. In, that's really in cool. In
1: baseball front offices, there's a, or, there's a position. Um, it's not in every team, but it's, you could call it the conduit. Uh, the conduit would be someone that communicates the idea, the ideas of the front office eggheads who probably all, you know, went to Ivy League and, and know how to code to the players and the coaches. Um and I kind of see myself as a conduit between um you know the baseball nerds, the baseball intelligentsia and then like you know the people who watch sports videos on YouTube. So that's that's what I try to be the equivalent of.
0: That's dope. Also I've also noticed something that your first videos on the Foolish Baseball channel are actually Out of the Park Baseball let's plays tutorials. For those of you that don't know Out of the Park Baseball is a text-based simulator for baseball. Where it's like really, would you call it that? Yeah, I would say it's a baseball
1: GM management simulation. You get to play as the GM uh, is sort of the main
0: way I would describe it. And it's a very intricate, very detailed game. Um, When I used it on Fumble Dimension, it is one of the most intricate, one of the deepest sports games that I've ever played period. And I wanted to ask, you were doing the tutorials and Let's Plays. Is that one of your, is that your favorite baseball game? And if not, what, what is?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's definitely the most on-brand baseball game, right? Like that, you know, that is like the video game version of Foolish Baseball. So that's why I think it was such a good thing for me to start off with. But yes, if I'm playing a baseball video game, it's probably going to be OOTP. And then if, if I'm not doing that, then I want the opposite of OTP, which is like a fun arcade game, which would be, you know, backyard baseball or in, in more recent years, super mega
0: baseball. I actually haven't played super mega baseball. The last arcade baseball game I played was the bigs on Wii. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh yeah, I loved backyard baseball as a kid. I loved uh the bigs. So super mega baseball, like what makes that so what makes that so much different from Out Out of the Park, like the arcade style?
1: Yeah, it's just like kind of turn your brain off and just play the game uh, on the field. You know, you don't have to worry about transactions. And I think the biggest strength of Super Mega Baseball is that it has the best and most robust difficulty settings I've ever seen in a sports team. You know, it's simple, but you can you can always adjust it to create a game that feels fair and competitive against the CPU. And I think that's something that many other sports games, even in like sort of the simulation category from big, you know, developers like EA, they miss that a
0: lot of the time. And that's so important because you can play a game on like you can play like a 2K basketball game on All Pro and then win by 30 and then you take it to a Hall of Fame and then all of a sudden you're losing by 20. So yeah, finding that uh the in-between there, that sounds like a really, really good thing that more sports games really need to do.
1: Mm-hmm. When I was playing, you know, uh, Madden and NCAA, I was big on the sliders, trying to find the right sliders to create, uh, you know, right. a competitive game of football on the field, you know, as it would be played in real life, and it's, it's nearly impossible. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's so tough because you have so many elements that you can change, yeah. and then you have to spend all this time tinkering. It's just it's just a big mess, man. Yeah, (laughs) you're right. You're totally right. The worst I know
1: uh, you've been streaming some NCAA. The worst sin of NCAA, without a doubt. And and I don't know if you you know this implicitly, but I might tell you it explicitly right now. Yeah. If you call a play on offense, the CPU knows what play you called, and that's the biggest problem. So the solution is you know how you would play NCAA is you would call a run play and then audible to four verts, you know, or something like that. Because then the CPU can't adjust to that but that is such garbage ai that it has to cheat i i I hate that
0: yeah it's like ncaa 14 is like really good but again i don't think it's the perfect game i think it has like some of its faults that have just been like drowned drowned in the nostalgia aspect of it because it's been over about six years since they've made the last one and yeah madden 21 was basically unplayable i got it for free and i uninstalled it the same day (laughs) because i i was doing uh i was doing a charity stream and we wanted to play uh the yard which was their like new three on three you know backyard football like rendition that they were trying to do Uh and we couldn't even get into the lobby so we were on stream and every time the three of us would try to get into the lobby only two of us would be able to make it and so we just decided to like not stream that mode and we had to do one-on-one so if someone had to literally third wheel our charity stream which is just so weird but (laughs) it's just well that's that's sort of the thing right it's like for me it's
1: you know it's otp or it's got to be the fun arcadey stuff because when you look at something in the middle where you have a realistic sports game that's trying to you know kind of balance arcade and also the game on the field it's just you can't win
0: you know yeah, I play I play MLB The Show. I play that on, like, whenever I have a, I have a creative player, I play it on beginner. <laughs> I'm trying to hit yeah. 110 home runs a season. I'm not trying to actually... Because as soon as I go from beginner to, like, the next level up, I strike out because I keep wanting to swing. I'm not trying to play, like, Juan Soto and be diligent and take pitches and all that. I'm not there for that. Yeah. I'm there to just hit the ball and just match. You you want
1: to be Superman. <laughs> you don't want to be like Eduardo Escobar putting up like a solid 110 OPS plus and being like, that was a pretty good season.
0: <laughs> right. Like, I'm just saying, like, yeah, I just played baseball efficiently. But but at what cost? Yeah, look, at my, exactly, look, at, look at all the time that I spent playing virtual. Yeah. <laughs> so we have the original out of the park baseball tutorials on your channel And I want to ask what inspired the shift from that to um, short 10 to 12 minute video essays for baseball bits. Like what was your first baseball bits idea? How did that come about? And how, um, how confident were you when you released it to the channel about the results?
1: Yeah, so one thing that I think baseball bits and the out of the park baseball videos have in common is that I was making a type of video that I myself wanted to watch uh, but didn't seem to exist on YouTube. So, you know, with OTP, people needed help, and I made tutorials, and then I made, you know, a Let's Play, a playthrough series where I could, um, you know, implement the things that I show in the tutorials with the, with an example of the actual game. Um, and then Baseball Bits, I think it was, it was a lot of the same things. You know, there was, uh, you know, I loved reading the blogs, the nerd blogs on Fangraphs or, or Baseball Prospectus, and then I would mm-hmm. go watch... Videos about baseball on YouTube, and that just was not being communicated. So, you know, I think it just comes down to um wanting to make a type of video that I myself wanted to see. And as far as making that transition, you know, because I had uh, at the time of wrapping up OTP about 800 subscribers, I knew that those were true hardcore baseball nerds, and that if, if even, even if I could just get a fraction of them to watch baseball bits, um, you know that that was. Uh, you know, that was, that was the ground level, right? Like the hardest subscribers to get on YouTube are the first 100 and then the next 100 comes a little bit easier and it just kind of grows uh, exponentially instead of linear. It's
0: always hard to get uh, the first 100 and then YouTube does this thing where the milestones are tied to your subscribers, which is really puzzling stuff right? because they have um, a community tab that you can only get after a thousand subscribers. But that's but a thousand subscribers is really hard to get from scratch. Yeah. Like that's so tough. If someone told
1: me I grew a channel from a thousand subscribers to a million subscribers, to me that's not as impressive as going from zero to one thousand. Because going going from zero is that's the absolute hardest thing
0: to do. Cause that's the big void of all these other all these other creators that are also like trying to make stuff as well. It's just so it's just such a tough ground, like ground to like climb up from. Absolutely. Yeah. So from then on, you were making baseball bits. And I wanted to say I wanted to ask which video was your first viral video and how did that change things for the channel short term and long term?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, the first baseball bits I uploaded was uh, one about this controversial call at the end of a 19 inning game between the Braves and the Pirates. And when I put that up, it got, I don't know, 200 views, you know, and then I made another yeah. one and it got a uh, hundred views or something like that. The first time I saw momentum, you know, I can point to like the, the day or the week it happened. You know, I think a lot of people grow slowly, but for me there was a clear moment where things changed. And that was when I uploaded the third episode of Baseball Bits, which is about Justin Verlander. And in an in incredible inning he threw where he, threw a pitch 102 miles per hour in the eighth inning. Um, and and that was uh, when I posted that. At the time, I was working at a homeless shelter over the weekends. But I think I posted that on like a Thursday or Friday. And then I like went into work and the whole time, I couldn't like keep my eyes off the YouTube analytics page because it was just going crazy. And all of a sudden, it had 10,000 views. And then a few weeks later, it had 100,000 views. And Justin Verlander himself tweeted about it and shouted me out. And so that was like the moment where everything changed, uh, without a doubt. Um, I, I quit that job a couple months later and then I moved out ready to pursue baseball bits full time a couple months after that. So that was really the turning point. It wasn't, it wasn't everything, obviously, you know, I still had to, a lot of growing to do before I could get to a point where I, I felt like, you know, this could be a career for me consistently, but that was the jumping off moment for sure.
0: Was that... Was making this a career always the goal, or was this more of a just for fun thing that you had in mind? Or like what were you what were you planning to do beforehand?
1: Yeah, well, I always wanted to work in baseball, um, but I was very pessimistic about my chances of doing so on a traditional route. You know, I I Right. I um, you know, I, I'm not Ivy League educated, I don't know how to code, so like the you know, for me working in a front office seems unlikely. Um I wasn't heavily involved with like the athletic department, um, when I was in college, you know, I, I, it's not like I was at, you know, baseball practice every day, working a track man, you know, something like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. where I could, where I could gain real life skills like that. And, yeah. and I wasn't, you know, consistently writing about baseball either. So I knew I went to work in baseball. I remember that winter I thought about going to the, to the winter meetings. Um, but no, the YouTube thing was a hobby and I, and something I've, you know, explained to people younger than me is like, Literally, when I was growing up, I didn't know that this would be a job, you know, like people were doing YouTube professionally, like when I was in high school, but I don't think I was aware of it. And um, so I just wanted to be a traditional sports writer. And then when this thing started to take off, it became less about, okay, how can I use Foolish Baseball to land a job in baseball and more about, you know, is Foolish Baseball my job in baseball?
0: Yeah, and there are more there are more resources now than even ten years ago. I mean, I wanted to be a baseball play by play broadcaster <laughs> for from from seventh grade until I got to second grade, second um sorry sophomore year of college. Um, I went to sportscaster camps. Oh, I yeah. I helped out. Yeah, I helped out with my with my high school's football and basketball broadcasts. Um, and I even shadowed at uh, our local TV station. I did an internship with the Carolina Mudcats. I was driving from Raleigh to Zebulon, which is a forty-five minute drive in like my grandma's two thousand three Subaru. <laughs> so I was, I was like, ah, play by play baseball. Play-by-play. I get to the University of Maryland. I think <laughs> the jumping off point for me was when. I got assigned to do a baseball double header for Maryland baseball. Uh-huh. That was the jumping off point because I was exhausted by the end of the first game. And then I was like, ah, shit, there's nine more innings <laughs> at least. Like there is no guarantee of how, I was like, oh, I got a test to study for. Like I, I had all of this. And then that was when I decided that I didn't want to do baseball play by play anymore. Yeah. And I also realized that, when you have a baseball play-by-play job, you can keep that job forever. No, it's <laughs> like, true, yeah. Like, Vin Scully was, like, what? He was the Dodgers voice for, what, seven decades? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he—I believe he started in the 40s. And I, I cannot imagine the amount of people that were just waiting in the wings for years and years and years to even, like, get their shot. Like, to even get a chance to apply Yeah, for uh, Vin Scully— if it's Gully's job, or even like assisting or stuff like that, and so, yeah, it was just just a, such a, a shock when I got to college, and then realizing I, now I look at my job now, which is creating videos where you break video games and stuff. that's not something that I would have ever imagined um, way back in seventh grade that I would be able to do. You know it's just right. such an interesting I mean, that job didn't exist when we were in seventh grade, right. Um, like and, and and when YouTube started, there wasn't a full time like kind of thing. That wasn't really like a possibility.
1: Right. I will say that um, you know, this will be a shout out just to all the, the internet baseball fans out there. But yeah, I mean Kofi's absolutely right. Unless Nick Castellanos hits a deep drive to make it a four nothing ball game, there really aren't <laughs> there really aren't openings in the sports broadcasting world. It's really hard to get in there. Um, but yeah, and, um, and I've had some similar experiences as well with that. Uh, you know, when I was in high school, I was not doing the broadcast necessarily, but I, I did make right. the, uh, like the stadium intro pump up video for our football team was created by <laughs> me. <laughs> so that was some of my earliest video editing work. Um, and then when I, I, so we can just go ahead and, you know, and get into it. Cause I'll just drop it right now. I lived in Germany for a year after I, uh, graduated college And I would help out Ah. with baseball teams and we would do double headers as well frequently. And I'd be like, man, imagine if I were like a beat writer or something like that. And I had to like (laughs) go to all these games, like, like it's, it's just not for me, honestly. And I love baseball, but I don't love it like that. You know, it's a different sort of love.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that there are so many people that are our age and below that want to work in sports. And I think that what was good for me and you is that we are kind of showing that there are more jobs that you can do outside of the realm of the traditional in terms of what you knew 10 years ago. Like instead of you can be a baseball digital media producer, you can uh, make videos about God knows what in the sports realm. You know, I think it's really a good thing now is that for creators and people that are interested in the sport is that there are more opportunities for you to do what suits your strengths.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I, I couldn't have said it better. Like, there are, you know, with the internet, just a lot of the traditional media in general is is in trouble. And and honestly, you know, throughout this pandemic, we've seen, you know, most careers are are in trouble or going to change. I, I when I think about, you know, the way that the traditional physical office is has been threatened uh, yeah. by this pandemic, and now you know, there's a lot of discussion about well, maybe these careers are work from home for now on, or they're hybrid. You know, there's discussions about, you know, maybe this person isn't a full-time employee with benefits anymore. Maybe this is like a 1099 employee and your boss is an app and an algorithm. And it's like, well, we're already living that to some extent, yeah, exactly. you know? So that's, that's the future. It's not a bright one. I would say it's a little bit grim in some ways, but um, I do feel
0: ahead of the curve uh, in terms of that, at least. And you have your own thing. It's like you have full creative control of what you want to make. Yeah, which exactly. Is, which is awesome.
1: I mean I don't have full control since I'm still beholden to YouTube though and I, I got to be a great ah, yeah, player on yeah, that. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> so I really wanted to ask this is something I'm really curious about. What is your process for creating baseball bits? Do you do the 8-bit faces yourself as well? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's all me, dude. Like um I I break
1: it down into three phases um yeah. And and I work in a very sort of linear sense like I don't work on multiple episodes at once um typically. So the first phase is going to be writing and research. You know, that's when I'm, uh, I have the topic and then I'm going to hop on baseball reference or fan graphs and find all the cool stats I can find or baseball prospectus. I'm going to, you know, uh, watch some video if I have to. I'm going to, you know, read uh, biographies on Sabre, which is the Society for American Baseball Research, if I have to Uh, outline and then write. And so that's, that's usually going to take, you know, three or four or five days. Uh, phase mm-hmm. two is sort of asset creation. That would be when I make the pixel art. That would be when I download all the video I think I'm gonna need. That's gonna that's when I make all of the graphics and I do the voiceover and I get my soundtrack ready. And then phase three is, you know, put it all in the editor and, and make it happen. So yeah, it's it's really sort of three distinct phases. It's the it's the writing and the research, followed by, you know, creating all the stuff I need for the video, uh, followed by, you know, putting all this, the the stuff together in a video editor.
0: And that kind of loops into a fan question from uh, emory Emery underscore essay. I really like to know the process involved in finding some of these weird stats and stories. They're just pure, pure research. Do people tend to give suggestions that get followed up on, or is it all luck to stumble across a great narrative? Which is I think it's a great question.
1: Oh, it's terrific. Um well this is one that you and I can probably relate on, but yeah. I no suggestions. Never give me a suggestion. Um, oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah I mean I'll, I have to read it, but like I'm not gonna do it um it has to be my idea for me to really be passionate about it, so that's kind of a failing on my part more than anything but yeah, so I think as far as you know the process, I think very often I'm looking at outliers you know if i'm if yeah. I'm on uh, a website with stats, it might be fun to sort by you know who's the best at something or who's the worst at something and a lot of video ideas are going to come from that you know that's Mark Burley with how fast he would pitch through a game. That's, you know, Tim LaCastro with how fast he can run and how often he gets hit by pitches. That's, you know, Jeff Mathis with how bad he is at hitting, but how good he is at framing as a catcher, you know, so, so looking at those outliers is big. And I think it just comes from like a natural sort of curiosity. And for me, I think uh, a lot of it is just if the more time I'm spending, you know, on the baseball internet or watching baseball or, or, you know, uh, reading the blogs, the more I'm going to be uh, inspired in sort of an indirect way. Um, I've read stories about stand-up comedians who who flip through the dictionary trying to find sort of funny words that that <laughs> that you know can that they can turn into uh, you know their next uh, stand-up bit. And I kind of feel the same way when I'm indulging in you know the written word about baseball. Even if the idea isn't there in plain sight, it might inspire me in, in another way.
0: Yeah, I can relate on getting the suggestions. I get, uh, <laughs> I get like DMs and emails of like whole proposals. Yeah, and I, I'm always just like, you do it <laughs> then if it's so great, you know. <laughs> nah, it's it's like I <laughs> like it's half that, but it's also like I fumble dimension is such a weird show to do because everybody has their own idea of what a Fumble Dimension video is supposed that's, to be. That's, yes, that's great. And the, moment, and the moment I make a video that comes from the idea of one person, I'm making that video for one person and not the entire audience. Right, exactly. That's a good way of looking at it. And then when, if I make the video, <laughs> let's say I make the video and then it turns out to be like, <laughs> people are like, people hate it. and I'm like, yeah, well, I, it, only one person that was there like liked it, right <laughs> yeah, and now I think it's just best that the creators make stuff that they like themselves, and then if the if the audience likes it, then that's that's it but i I feel more impassioned I feel more enthusiastic about and passionate about stuff that like comes from my own brain, um yeah. and then working with working together with John has been great, but yeah, just. The the whole idea thing, is just odd. I'm flattered by it. Yeah, I know. me too.
1: Don't get me wrong. Um, yeah, but exactly. One thing I, I I encounter is like they 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 they'll come up with like a player that's interesting, right. and that's like that's not even half the battle because my videos are rarely just about players. They're really just about like ideas, you know. And it's finding yeah. an interesting baseball player. I think is actually not that hard i think finding the right thing to say about them is 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 what's difficult
0: and I, I think i can relate in with you in terms of fumble dimension is that like there are a lot of video games that sound like cool fumble dimension ideas yeah. and then when we sit down and take a look i can be like oh there's there's nothing here that i can just I'm not reinventing the wheel if i make this video or stuff like that
1: yeah you need you use something really robust and that's that that doesn't always mean you know uh, whatever the commander's favorite game was when they were nine
0: i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you a really a really nerdy and really nerdy video editor question so for those of you that don't edit video i'm sorry what what got you into sony vegas i'm just curious oh, man
1: so dude sony vegas uh i mean when i was like 12 or 13 or whatever when i first started messing around with these video editors like it was a lot more popular then than it is now uh i guess now you're into like final cut and uh adobe uh creative suite um yeah (laughs) but um yeah dude i was on vegas and one of the reasons i was on vegas is because uh i think people making like video game like montages for like uh you know counter-strike or call of duty a lot of that was done in vegas so i was like oh obviously i gotta learn vegas and then literally i just like i just keep using it like i don't know why it's it's probably <laughs> inferior to Adobe in every way. I use like Photoshop and Illustrator to make a lot of the graphics, so it's like I'm already kind of familiar with the Adobe suite. I just haven't gotten to Premiere, but yeah that that's why I use Vegas It's, it's what I started with, and then I just haven't changed
0: I think it's more it's more of a comfort thing, you know I oh, yeah. when I got to when i got to uh when I got to college we the journalism school, we used Adobe Premiere. So that's just I've never really like gone into anything else. And so I've just stuck with that. But yeah. I, I was just curious about different video editors and I'm always wondering if I wanted to switch. You don't want to switch
1: to Vegas. No, I'm stuck, but you don't. <laughs> stick with stick with Adobe, stick with uh
0: or or learn Final Cut or something like that. I don't know. My favorite my favorite thing to tell uh new creators that when they they come sometimes they sometimes ask me what what software do I need to to get started on content creation and I'm like there are a lot of free resources out there that's true yeah and, and I hit them with this I say John Boys uses iMovie yeah that, yeah and, I say and that Google and, Earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and everybody's like what I'm like you heard
1: me yeah. <laughs> John. you use this iMovie that is a good <laughs> and, one I'm gonna start telling people that right, I'm gonna start like, telling people who uses Windows Movie Maker
0: Oh my god, that was... I used that in like 8th grade. I remember... <laughs> I took a video class in 8th grade. But I thought Windows Movie Maker was like the most technologically advanced thing yeah, on dude. the planet.
1: You're like, this, this is, is so definitely cool. how they made Star Wars, was Windows Movie Maker. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, I always go back to... I'm like, there are a lot of free resources that you can use. And if you're creative and resourceful enough, you can make them look professional-grade. It's true.
1: Yeah, and for a lot of people you know they're not doing stuff that's maybe as editing intensive as the stuff we do so if you're if you simply want to just chop up some clips like you know there's tons of free software you can do to get you at least started with that
0: it's such a it's such a great like era now it's like anybody can make videos and use their own creative minds and stuff it's i'm it's just so happy i'm just so happy about that
1: yeah i i am too but i i do want to say something about sort of you know, for me in terms of turning it into a job, you know, and this is for everyone listening, like there, there is a huge role of like privilege in my life that, that has helped that. So like when I moved out, um, you know, to pursue, you know, baseball bits full time, you know, and to do this sort of entrepreneurial strikeout on my own thing, like if I failed, I literally the worst case scenario was just move back in with my parents, you know, and there wasn't going to be any worries about me, you know, bankrupting myself or, or ending up in poverty or something like that. And then also, you know, you can get started with with a low, you know, amount of hardware. But I mean, right now I'm looking at, you know, a computer that has, you know, uh like an eight core processor right now. It's like not everyone can afford that, you know. So yeah, there is yeah. there is, you know, things that are that are in your personal life that can affect your ability to do this. Um and I think we should just make sure we mention
0: that. That is true. I, I think that um if I had set out after college as well and things didn't work out for me job wise, I would have been able to live with my parents for a little bit. And I feel like the the stigma has kind of changed over the years, you know, like you know, back in like the eighties and like the eighties and nineties where like they had the whole living with your parents thing, yeah. they would like kind of say it as like say it as something like embarrassing. But no, like it's really It's a really, really like good thing sometimes. Like I, I graduated from the University of Maryland and then from there I immediately went to live in Washington, D.C. And there were some days where I was in D.C. like walking around and I was just like, man, I actually kind of wish that I was able to like live with my parents for a year and save money. Yeah, exactly. And all of that. So, I mean, there, there definitely, there is definitely no shame in that ever no
1: i I Um, agree i mean i live with my parents right now it's only
0: temporary but i'm still there (laughs) yeah exactly and like when i when the when the pandemic hit i was able to go back for five months and save money and all of that so i mean that was such a a good thing for me as well just like also like health wise as well being able to see that they're okay and everything yeah no for sure So we're going to shift gears a little bit, and I'm going to ask about uh, Major League Baseball as a whole. And my question for you is, do you think that Major League Baseball is doing enough to connect with the youth? And if not, what do you suggest that they can do? Okay, sorry. Can
1: you ask the the first part of that question one more time? Yeah. Do you think that
0: Major League Baseball is doing (laughs) enough—
1: <laughs> I thought you didn't hear I hope me. I hope I got that point across there. Yeah. Um No, uh but I do have some suggestions. Um yeah, go for well, it. Well I think there's a lot of challenges that, that are facing the sport that people uh aren't accounting for. Um right. the phantom of the sport seems weak on the national stage, but that's because Fandom is very regional. Uh, I found, you know, for example, if you are a fan of the Atlanta Braves, you may follow the Braves and watch them every day, but you might not have a clue what's going on in the American League or who all the star players are. And you're still a baseball fan, but you're but you're you know only engaging with the local team. Um, and that's true for hockey as well. Whereas you know, compared to NBA, NFL, that's a very national sort of thing. Um, another big problem with baseball, I see people complaining about how baseball markets individuals. And uh, uh, or the lack thereof, you know, everyone knows who, you know, LeBron is or Steph is or James Harden is and Patrick Mahomes, you know. Um, But, you know, people don't know baseball players. Part of that I can excuse because the fact of the matter is like Patrick Mahomes and LeBron, just because of how their sports work, have such a far greater impact on winning than Mike Trout ever can. You know, Mike Trout's Maybe the best player to ever play and he can't make the playoffs consistently, whereas you know LeBron and Mahomes, as long as they stay like healthy and they have like warm bodies around them, can make the playoffs every year. It seems like, um, yeah. So that's a big part of it. But yeah, I think for for connecting with the youth, there's a lot of things that people suggest that that's like, well, what you got to do to connect with the youth is you got to have you know guys wearing colorful cleats on TikTok doing bat flips, and that's what young people like. And if a young person sees. Uh, someone doing a bat flip on TikTok, uh, MLB will be the most popular league in the world. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like that's yeah. like a small thing, I think. Um, a big thing, you know, from an entertainment perspective for me is I think that the league has to find a way to put more balls in play on the field. Um, you know, the the strikeout rates are growing. The home run rates are growing. You know, the walk rates are growing. Uh, we need balls and play because I think I equate balls and play with action. That's where you get cool, you know. That's where you get web gems. Everyone loves web gems, you know. You, oh, I yeah. love web gems. Yeah. Baseball tonight, man. Yes, oh. exactly. We need more web gems. <laughs> we need more yeah. opportunities for web <laughs> gems. That's my number one thing. Um, and then, um, you know, as far as uh, I think getting young people to play the sport is is obviously a big one. Um, yeah. You know, I was I played. Um, I you know I played for the Braves in two thousand one. Obviously. But um, oh yeah, yeah, gotta mention that. But you know, it's that's not. <laughs> I, I would say that's not where my love of the game necessarily came from. Was was not playing when I was younger. It's just you know that's just who I am. But like for a lot of people, playing baseball when they're younger does set them onto the path of being baseball fans for life. And so there's got to be a way to make it uh, more accessible. MLB has a academy um in Compton that is sort of geared towards like uh, inner city, let's just, you know, they want more black kids to play basically. And yeah. um, because the, the share of, of, black American athletes that play baseball is shrinking um, and the, and the share yeah. of, the, but the share of, of, Latin American players is, is growing while the share of, of uh, uh, black players shrinks and the share of white players stays about the same. Um, so, you know, th- they opened that in Compton and that has generated, you know, Hunter Green, who is like a top, a uh, draft guy, Dom Smith, who was like a breakout star for the Mets this year. Um, they probably need to open one of those in like every city, you know, to be honest. Um, yeah, like one city just isn't enough. Yeah, and that's they've, they've got it in a few it. other places, but they need like the equivalent of of the, the Compton Academy in at least all of the markets where there's a major league baseball team. Um, that would be like at the minimum where I would start. I think that um, one good thing that's going to grow the game is is MLB The Show is going to become cross-platform um and that, that oh, has been yes we can talk about the role of how video games affect uh sports fandom but for me in particular playing fifa got me into soccer so i think if you have mlb the show accessible to people on xbox or people who play on pc or switch um that's that's an obvious way to grow the game you know um and then oh I know, yeah because that's a
0: because that's a playstation exclusive it's
1: been a playstation exclusive yeah well, So it's, I, and that's the only licensed uh mlb game besides uh RBI baseball which is is bad and no one should ever play. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I always see RBI baseball in the PlayStation Store and I'm like, oh $19. And I click yeah. on it. And I'm like, nah, never mind. They should mind. pay you $19 <laughs> to download it. Um <laughs> and but for us growing up there was um MVP. there was MLB2K5, mm-hmm. there's MBP baseball, um there was high heat, there was, there was Fall Star
1: baseball, there was Ken Griffey junior baseball before that you know
0: there were so many baseball games out and then it just kind of shrunk
1: yeah and now it's after just a while if you're looking for you know the the quintessential you know mlb game it's mlb the show and that's only on playstation which is i and mean that's terrible
0: of, honestly and the other and the other baseball games that i liked didn't even have major league baseball players like mario superstar exactly. baseball yeah like, that's not gonna get me interested in the league. Yeah. Like, Waluigi doesn't play for the Mets. Wii Sports you know? Baseball is great. Oh, yes. Yeah, that too. hmm. That I remember trying to, uh, I remember to keep, I tried to, kept trying to throw like perfect games in Wii Sports Baseball. And then I got to, um, I think the guy, the Wii, the me name is like Mike.
1: Oh, and yeah. And would Mike. just be like, nah. <laughs> yeah, dude. I was, the tennis one was probably my favorite. Um, tennis one was great. But yeah, it didn't make me want to watch Nadal play, you know. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I one spot that I see like blowing up, and and this is with baseball cards, and this is with with all trading cards. You know, I'm not sure if you've noticed, but the trading card markets are crazy right now. Um, Whether that's Pokemon or uh, basketball, or you know whatever you can imagine, and a big problem for for baseball is, is that Tops, which has the you know the full MLB license. Um, the, the people who buy those baseball cards are like guys who camp out at Target because uh, they have nothing better to do. They're not like children, you know. So I think Tops right. needs a line that is like mass produced, available everywhere, worthless, but at least like kids could get their hands on them. I think that would be a really uh, good thing to look into. So, yeah, that, those are just some of my ideas for like engaging with the youth. But I think, you know, you got to get more people to play. You got to make the the game um, you know, more enjoyable from a spectator perspective uh, by putting more balls in play. And I'll actually shout out, you know, one last suggestion: baseball yeah. tickets should be free. Like, not, like we're in a pandemic, but when we're filling the stadiums, baseball tickets should be free. Let mom and dad play for the parking. The average baseball fan will spend like you know ten, twenty, thirty dollars in concessions in addition to the parking. Just let everyone come to the ballpark. You know that that is not where the money is, anyways. It's the TV money um so just let people come into yeah. the ballpark and, and spend on the concessions you'll probably make more money and you'll make way more fans
0: damn that's an interesting that's an interesting idea i hadn't even thought of that one and back to the card thing i think that i had a shit ton of baseball cards myself growing up yeah. and i had a huge collection and some of them would be from card packs but the the other way was um do you remember Sports Illustrated for Kids? Oh, and they would yeah. have those nine trading cards oh, my, every month. Yeah, you cut them month?
1: out. Yeah, yes, you'd dude, cut them I out and all and about you'd that. say, Yeah. Yeah.
0: That was another way that I got into uh baseball and be like, oh, who's Manny Ramirez? Yeah, <laughs> just, exactly. This <laughs> interesting stuff like that. Isn't that a
1: better suggestion than just like uh do a bat flip and multicolored cleats. like doesn't that feel better you know
0: (laughs) i think it's just it feels more genuine and feels more built up because a lot of the because it's hard to to i feel like mlb social media teams are also they also have like a dilemma sometimes Mm -hmm. where they're trying to celebrate the excitement and the exciting parts of the sport and then you'll like tune into a game and they'll do the exciting thing. But then like the other team will like clear the benches or be like, that's not how you play the game. And like the, the whole Tim Anderson thing, you know, Carlos Gomez has some of my favorite bat flips and then Mm -hmm. they start bench clearing bras. And it's like the whole unwritten rule system kind of, I feel like it kind of gets in the way of that as well. Yeah,
1: No, I, so I agree. I think, um, well, Tatis was the big incident this year and he's if there's anyone that mlb should probably be trying to market like a mahomes or a lebron it's tatis uh for for myriad of reasons but that happened to him and i I even look at a guy like bryce harper who i felt like when he came up was like so exciting so dynamic so in your face always getting ejected uh you know always (laughs) pimping his home runs and I, i just feel like the culture of the game in major league baseball kind of beat that out of him and and People might pencil it up to maturing, but I,
0: I you know, it, it's kind of sad to me as well. I, I didn't, I didn't even feel like he was he. He wasn't annoying. No, he was just like an exciting player yeah. that a lot of like traditional people were just like ah, he's just having too much fun. He has a
1: personality that every football player and basketball player have. So like, why is that such a problem in baseball?
0: You know, right? Exactly. And then the other thing is, um, I think even when a player is doing well and not really showing off, they still have the chance to get pelted with a 90-mile-per-hour fastball.
1: Right, yeah. Like, even if you just look at it,
0: yeah, people aren't going to like it. Like, when they hit uh, Acuna in the shoulder. Oh, yeah, after, that's like, true. <laughs> after you hit, like, four home runs, and they're just, like, that. Like, I can't think of another sport where you could just do that.
1: Yeah, well, and it's so dangerous, too. <laughs> it's like a 95-mile-per-hour projectile that you know if you miss by a little bit could be coming straight for your noggin
0: like it's crazy yeah and i remember like i remember being young and going to batting cages and even like getting to 75 miles per hour i was like yeah that's that's i'm good yeah it's utterly terrifying (laughs) i'm okay i don't think i need to play this sport up a higher than a a seventh grade level (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) because that's why like those are the two things that stop me from like actually being good at baseball past that was that the the pitches started uh, getting faster and then i remember i tried out for this baseball league and my parents were there and this was easily one of my worst like athletic moments um i tried switch hitting in the tryout (laughs) now were were you inspired by a baseball player to do this yeah like, you know, uh, Chipper Jones and Carlos oh, Beltran. Go, yeah. It was like, they see, I was like, that looks cool. Yeah. And I'm like kind of ambidextrous. Like I shoot, ba- I shoot in basketball with my left hand, but I throw with my right hand. So I was like, I could possibly pull this off. <laughs> I tried that in a tryout. Um, Did not go well. Uh, my mom, my mom and dad, they, they're not real like baseball watchers, but they kind of knew that that wasn't it. And that wasn't something to like pull off and like pull out in a tryout. Right, um, <laughs> and like I didn't make any team, and I was like, yeah, that's probably fair. Um, <laughs> Had you practiced switch hitting before this tryout? Like a little bit, but <laughs> it was my it was my dad throwing. Right, yeah. it wasn't like a it wasn't like a kid that like actually knew how to throw off speed and curb. Like the moment they added curve balls and off speed pitches, I was done. I was yeah. like, yeah, this is, this is enough for me. I have to, I have to guess now. Mm-hmm.
1: My best, uh, years in baseball were like when, uh, you, you didn't throw a sinker, but gravity would just kind of cause the ball to fall. <laughs> right. <laughs> cause you, cause it was like thrown by
0: small children. And like, that's the sinker Ooh. right there when it like hits the dirt, you know, <laughs> Like my 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 best like baseball years came from like coach pitch as well. Oh yeah, Or it's like everybody gets like four. Everyone raked <laughs> in coach pitch.
1: They gotta they gotta get oh, some uh, offensive adjusted stats for coach pitch because I'm telling you, like everyone was rocking sure like do. a 1500 OPS. Otherwise,
0: yeah. Um, I think my final question for you has to be. Well, I think I have, might have two questions, but my wrapping up this podcast, I want to ask what creators do you enjoy watching? What creators do you feel inspired by when you feel like you're in a slump? And yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think the creator I was probably most inspired by summoning salt. Um, and I've gotten to know him, uh, to some degree just have through the channel and he's actually a baseball fan, which is great. Um, so he's great. I think there, there's a lot of what he did that I was, uh, trying to emulate with baseball bits. Um, you know, as, as far as, you know, it's if I could describe foolish baseball, I'd almost say, you know, it's summoning salt meets fan graphs or something like that. That, that might, might be the, a good summation of it if you're familiar with what those things are. Uh, as far as creators like I enjoy watching, uh, I think a big problem, or at least a trend in YouTube that, I, that I've noticed is that the YouTube stars want to be like traditional media stars. And the traditional media yeah. stars want to be like YouTube stars. So that, you know, the YouTube stars they want to have be in the rap music video and they wanna <laughs> have their own uh talk show uh, on a like a cable network and have their own, you know, show on Netflix or whatever. And then, yeah. you know, the talk show hosts wanna, you know, go viral on YouTube. Um so I I admire the YouTubers that kind of maintain that that sort of like that lo-fi, you know, sort of personal thing where where it's not, you know sanitized in a corporate way so i like um i like the report of the week which is this uh uh weird guy who uh who
0: is that the food yeah, review he reviews guy?
1: food in like 1940s suits <laughs> that's like one of my absolute favorite youtube channels um this is a good one buff Carell. check out buff Carell on youtube it's he, okay. buff Carell is this is this uh guy who's like uh, uh amateur fitness model and he has like crazy eyebrows and he uh, records videos of himself in his bedroom doing covers of songs like karaoke and he's a terrible singer and but also kind of an incredible dancer. It's some of the most entertaining thing I've ever seen. So like those people that can sort of still bring like that that you know guy in the bedroom feel to YouTube, like I admire that a lot. I think that's way better than a lot of just like the very sanitized stuff.
0: Yeah. I <laughs>
1: check out Buff Perel, <laughs> I'm, th- I'm telling you. I'm
0: thinking I'm thinking about the guy in the suit like eating the whopper. just die yeah dude
1: he's he and the thing is like i called him weird but like what makes him great is that he is eccentric like that but he's also kind of in on the joke too like he knows that he's (laughs) he's weird and so there's always there's always like these moments where it's like you can kind of feel him winking at the
0: camera almost he's like yeah i know you know (laughs) (laughs) and um lastly what advice would you have to someone that wants to be where you are or wants to follow your path. I know there are many ways to get to where you want to be in media, in content creation. And I just wanted to ask what your two cents on or what advice you have for, uh, people that are inspired by you.
1: All right. So I'll, I'll give three pieces of advice that are all, you know, sort of different. Um, the first one, um, is, is in, in terms of, you know, making a video on YouTube. If, if you're making something unique, you have no competition. That's, that's one way of looking at it. If you're making the best type of video, whether the best type of A video because you're the only person making that type of video, that's a win. Um, the second one is, is more practical. On YouTube, click rate and click through rate and um, watch time are all that matter. Um, don't ignore everything else. Click through rate and watch time and then the third i think is is don't just take advice from people who got lucky you know it i'm on here i've turned <laughs> this into a job um through some miracle um some of it is my hard work and some of it is you know that i that i make uh you know a good series of videos but a lot of it is luck i think it's good to talk to people who are struggling as well
0: yeah that's a, that those are three great points man yeah, man. Thank you so much for uh, stopping by. It's been great talking with you, man. This is this was long overdue. It's been good to have a conversation. All right. Thank you so much. Again, thank you guys for all listening. For those of you that, again, are first-time listeners, feel free to leave a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. You can also find this podcast on Spotify and YouTube. This has been Chillin' with Kofi, episode three. I will see you guys next time. Have a good one. Bye.